Again. Again. Let's <laughs> all. Let's all sing another song. Let's stretch these summer nights out extra long. Let's set fire to a building we don't like. And watch the glow, enjoy the orange light. Cause we all are gonna die someday alone. Cause we all are gonna die someday alone. Howdy folks, uh, how's it going? Welcome to the Garrett Schalke Podcast. I am your host, your boy, Garrett Schalke. And uh, today we have a very special guest uh, doing a great little phone interview here on this early night here in uh, October. My guest today is a comic book writer, illustrator, and freelance artist from Chicago who is the creator of the indie comic book series Sapphire Spectre which I have been very much interested in since I first came across it at Chicago Comics many, many years ago. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that series along with some uh, other fun stuff. Folks, let's uh, welcome JT Malloy. JT? Pretend I like, came out of the curtains and stuff and did a little jig. <laughs> yeah. A la, a la late 90s Conan or something. Oh, man. Uh Big fan of his back when I was in uh, high school, though I kind of dropped out. Uh, guy, I think it was after he uh, took over Jay Leno, but then got booted, then got his own oh, show. Right. <laughs> his podcast is pretty good, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did technically quit that, didn't he? Now he just has a podcast? Yeah, pretty much. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. It's good, though. I listen to it on the train. Yeah, I have to say, a pretty ballsy move for uh, one of the most noble late-night hosts. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's well. I'm sure it's a lot better than uh, what David Letterman's been doing since uh, he retired ages ago. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, geez, I, he's I, just like a, he's a content addict. You know, I hate to use that word, but whatever. You know, like he just wants to he wants stuff out there and people noticing him. Like that's the kind of personality he is. Yeah, I mean, I like the Netflix show that he has. You know, that's okay. But uh, then I saw that. Uh, what was it, on Disney Plus? He's like doing a concert film with Bono and the Edge. Oh, really? He's like, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> anyway, uh, JT, how's it going, friend? Uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, I was off work today. I had to go to the doctor. Uh, got some commissions done because uh, I realized a few days ago that I spent too much money out of my own paycheck. And I was like, oh, my God. All right, to so make it through the next week i have to like do two commissions <laughs> oh uh are commissions still open <laughs> yes yes they are oh so, dude uh we'll talk about that after the interview i uh am interested in uh doing one of those for sure yeah i just drew yuki from uh ninjas and zombies or no, no ninjas and robots uh mm-hmm. I, I had never heard of that before but i did some research and i'm like oh man this looks cool so i'm gonna check that out so yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right uh we'll We'll get to that after the show, you know. 
unless the unless my audience really wants to hear a uh, business talk, but I kind of don't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, can you? Uh, yeah, can you? Can you get that down to like twenty dollars, and can you get it done by tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I want uh, eight figures all fighting each other. Like the X Men nineties intro, <laughs> running at each other. <laughs> yeah, JT, the it's going good so far, but you know, I really wish you could draw the head differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, all right. I saw this meme. Okay, I'm a video editor by trade, like nine to five, and I uh, uh, I saw a meme the other day that was like the life of a video art, uh, life of a video editor, and it was like uh, in quotes, it was like. Uh, I like it, but could you change the music? And then it's like death after that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that could apply to so many creative fields. Like, oh, I like it, but it just changes one thing or whatever. Even if they don't need a change, they have to say that because they're the producer or whatever. <laughs> uh, oh, I see. <laughs> All right, JT. Uh, as I said in that intro, I uh, would like to talk to you about mainly about uh, your comic series, Sapphire Spectre. And, uh, yeah, some other stuff about you. So, uh, would you like to get into that? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, let's uh, let's start from the very beginning. Let's get some secret origin stuff going on here. Yes. Yeah, uh, JT. Uh, when and where were you born? I was born uh, in Hinsdale, Illinois, on December twenty seventh, nineteen eighty one, and I grew up mainly in Oaklawn, Illinois south side of chicago like just a mile outside the south side of chicago oh okay so uh well i'm a fan i'm a big fan of chicago Osley. unfortunately not a chicagoan is that considered part of the suburbs or no yeah it's technically a suburb but it, it like borders like some south side neighborhoods so uh it's kind of like a chicago by proxy or something like uh Maybe maybe a hardcore Chicagoan wouldn't say that, but uh, I mean it's still kind of connected to the. I grew up in a very Irish Catholic uh, area where it's like cops and firemen everywhere. My dad was a cop. Like most of my uncles are firemen, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's always a great discussion on uh, Chicago Facebook pages of you know city versus suburbs. <laughs> Anyways, so. yeah. Pretty much, Southside is very Irish. I grew up going to the Irish, like the Southside Irish Parade, and you know, getting drunk off my ass in my college years and stuff like that. So, very nice. It's, it's, it's very centered around St. Patrick's Day and all that stuff down there. So, <laughs> lots of bars, lots of churches. Oh, nice. So, uh, besides that, uh, what was your life like growing up? Well, it was pretty cool. It wasn't too bad. I mean, I was kind of nerdy growing up, you know, like a lot of comic book readers and. Uh, creators and stuff but uh it's like I, I always tell people i wasn't picked last in sports and i wasn't picked first in sports you know <laughs> that's kind of like the social hierarchy for like men or boys growing up you know what i mean it's like how well can you hit a home run or are you the fastest kid in class for some reason like athleticism was always like whether or not you were one of the cool kids or something but i was always i could always sneak by so it's like i always felt like even even in my older years i felt like I kind of had half my foot in the cool kids and half my foot the total geeks. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I could kind of like speak both languages, so to speak. I don't know. So, all right. So, uh, as a as a fan of your series and of you for these past couple of years, honestly, I noticed the at least as I perceive it, the big three things with you are being illustrating, comics, and uh, punk rock. 
Yeah, uh, definitely. Which, yeah, uh, which of those came first in your life? Uh, probably illustrating. Uh, yeah, I've been drawn since I was a real little kid, like drawing the the Ghostbusters, you know, in like a crude like crayon form and stuff. Like that's what I grew up on was mainly Ghostbusters and Batman, and then like later Ninja Turtles. Once we hit like the late eighties and stuff, and then uh. Uh, I got really, really, really into Spider-Man and the X-Men in, like, the mid-90s. And I'd say that's, like, I had comics growing up in the late 80s and stuff, but, like, I I didn't become, like, a full-time I-need-to-go-to-the-store-every-Wednesday comic geek until I was, like, 13. And Mm -hmm. I first read, like, the Scott Lobdell, Joe Maduria, Maduria, however you say his name, X-Men. And then it it was a quick launch into Spider-Man right after that, and I became, like, a huge Spider fan, so... I've been a comic comic addict since like 1995, but like you know, I had him growing up too, like Calvin and Hobbes and like some Batman and some Sonic the Hedgehog and stuff like that. Oh, uh, have you uh, heard about Bill Watterson's latest book? No, does he have a new one? Yeah, he uh, did did this uh, Dark Fancies collaboration with uh, an artist an artist I never heard of before. Interesting. I gotta find that right away. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, out now. It just came out. Because I remember he did a few ghost strips for, like, this one guy for, like, uh, I don't remember what comic strip it was. This was, like, 15 years ago or something. Like, he just kind of came out of retirement and, like, drew a few strips for this one dude. And then, like, kind of went back into his J.D. Salinger kind of mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, now this is just my conspiracy theory, but I totally believe that he uh, was behind all those, uh, bumper stickers of Calvin pissing on various things. I think he was behind it. (laughs) Absolutely. I cannot believe that a man of his intelligence and talent could ever pass up the chance to make all that kind of money. (laughs) No, it's true. But if you, if you read other books of his and interviews with his, he's actually pretty anti-corporate. Like he never made any merch of Calvin and Hobbes, even though he ignored millions of dollars. Like he, purposefully didn't do it but that's what happens when you don't do the licensing game is then people can rip you off and make stickers like that you know so it's kind of his <laughs> yeah. fault but he's not making any money off of it so uh yeah i'm joking there but i didn't mean to get all actually <laughs> god what what a 4d chess move if that was true though <laughs> yeah right no, that's true. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so so you actually name dropped a lot of your favorite titles there, you know, TMNT, Batman, Spider Man, of course. Uh, are there what are your uh, current favorite titles or characters or writers? Um, I kind of like just uh, reading friends books these days, you know, like uh, Dustin Brunel's got some great stuff going on in Ethereal. And uh, Karen Nicole, her comic Fire Bitch is hilarious, and uh, all the stuff they put out with, you know, she puts out with Alfred Trio, and uh, yeah, just uh, a lot of that. And then um, I don't know, it's like I, I guess you, sometimes as a creator, you get stuck in a rut where you're only creating and you're not consuming enough. So I really have been meaning to get back into like reading comics a lot more. You know what I mean? Oh, I should. It's, it's almost like the tank runs empty, and you got to be like, "All right, I need some fucking inspiration. I need to like remember what it's like to read one of these and not to make it." Oh, actually, I'm uh, currently in that because I'm uh, transcribing a novel of mine. I should be done with it this week, though. Then uh, back to a normal schedule, meaning I'm not uh, 
breaking my back every night trying to get this thing out. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, speaking of Spider-Man, uh, uh, any opinions on the current run, which is uh, very controversial and not a lot of people are liking it? Uh, I've been avoiding it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read since the Beyond era, because... Uh, uh, sometimes I'll go a year without reading Spidey, and then I'll catch up with everything like that I missed, you know. Mm-hmm. And just hearing people talk about this this Paul character and Mary Jane, yes, the Peter, Paul like, character, <laughs> all this junk. I'm like, kind of like, what is this? And like, uh, I'm not even, I'm not even technically like a, a marriage purist, like a lot of fans are. Like, I could go either way. Like, uh, at this point, just marry him off because we've got five thousand versions running around anyway so why not make the 6161 just like get settled down you know with like this. <laughs> it's like there's there's like you can throw a rock and hit five spider-man these days so just just let that one advance you know but like uh my official answer is that i just i just like good spidey stories i just like a clever fight with him and electro or like something like that you know what i mean like it, it doesn't matter to me whether he's married or not but well uh, uh well i won't spoil but, but I won't... they almost seem to be going out of their way to piss people off that ship those two these days oh yeah he's he has to be one of the most tortured comic characters out there if ever Right, and he, he that always was a part of his shtick, you know, is that it's the world versus him. But if you read the early ones, um, it was a little more nuanced than that, you know what I mean? It was kind of like, you know, it was like the, they're writing bad stuff about him in the paper, and like he uh, was just like throwing something in his room, like, oh, I hate this, or something. It was just kind of like a young man's rage kind of thing. Nowadays, it's like people from other universes like destroying his <laughs> happiness and stuff and it's just like all right what, what is this can we get back to what this guy's really about you know? yeah uh actually i think it was one of my favorite quotes it was, one of my favorite writers advice was a uh, kurt vonnegut who uh i think i'm paraphrasing here said that you should basically throw everything you can at your character to show everyone what they're made of right but uh with Spider-Man and maybe a few others like Batman, it's like, uh, okay, settle down, guys. Yeah. Put him through like, too much. Sometimes it's like torture porn or something. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I like the, the Stan Lee run is really the best. Now that I'm, uh, uh, now that I've read, I've read literally every run of Amazing Spider-Man until the recent one, and um, I can safely say at this point that like that felt the most natural. I know the dialogue wasn't the most natural, but the things that happened to him were the most natural. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah. It was like, you really got to see him, like, go from boyhood to early adulthood. And Stanley really kind of nailed some of the uh, more subtle aspects of that, like changing social circle and, like, uh, just putting aside certain things and embracing others and things like that, you know? like Wait, is it Stanley or is it Ditko or Kirby? A little bit of Ditko and Lee, both, I guess. Okay. It's impossible to determine. Yeah, I mean, they had their fights, you know, I mean, it was like, hey, should we send him to college or not? And, like, Dinko said no, Stanley said yes, and then it's like, hey, should the Green Goblin be Norman Osborn or not? And (laughs) Stanley said yes, Dinko said no, and then, like, the instant Dinko leaves, like, Peter has already been in college for, like, one or two issues, and (laughs) the Green Goblin is Norman Osborn, literally in John Romita's first issue. You know, so it's like he was kind of like you can feel that Stanley was like getting rid of some of the perceived shackles that Steve Ditko was giving him, but 
it also lost a little bit of the neurosis that Steve Ditko brought to the character, you know, so. Mm-hmm. But Stanley was still scripting it for the first hundred or so issues, so you could kind of say it's his, too. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, not not to spoil the current one for you, but, uh, man, the Spidey fandom really wants Spider-Man to kill Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a indication. I've been seeing that. <laughs> I really love the Spencer run, though. I was, like, a huge fan. I was, oh, my God, I was, like... Like a kid in a candy store going to the comic shop every week, I felt like you know I was like in my late thirties at that point, and I'm like, man, this is great. Like, it just felt like Spider Man again. Like, I love Dan Slott's run too, but uh, Spencer's there was just it was just fun. I don't know, it was Very dark nice. too at moments. And I know some people thought the whole you know like uh, 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 Kindred thing went a little too long, but I don't know. Like, it's play the long game. That's fine. Like, that's cool. Well, I mean, like, it can't beat the Clone Saga <laughs> internal length. <laughs> right. I like the second half of the Clone Saga. The first half is kind of messy, but once Ben Riley got the big spider outfit, you know, with the exterior web shooters and stuff, then it was cool. But, yeah. All right. Oh, actually, final Spider-Man question. Have you uh, played Spider-Man 2 yet? No, I'm going to wait on that, because the first one I liked, but I had problems with as, like, a, I, at this point, I'm calling myself, like, a, a Spidey regular Marvel Universe 616, if you will, like, purist, you know, like, <laughs> and, like, they just messed, they just messed with it a little, where it's like, okay, he's eight years into his career, but Mary Jane's always been a reporter, he's first encountering Doc Ock, there is no Green Goblin, there was never Gwen Stacy, so it's like, it was kind of planting its feet in another universe kind of way where I'm like, oh, it's, it's not like a Spider-Man game. It's like a, our interpretation of Spider-Man in quotes game. You know, mm-hmm. I had a little more fun with the miles one because miles is canon is messy anyway. So it's like, do whatever you want with him. And uh, then like the new game, I heard that like Harry was going to be venom and stuff. And I'm like, oh, what, what are you doing? So I'm, I'm putting it off for a while. Like, I'm sure the gameplay is really fun. It's going to be a fun ride, but I'm just I'm gonna roll my eyes while I'm playing it too. So. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. Back to, back to your uh, early work. Um, how would you uh, describe your style of your early work? Um, I was growing up very influenced by uh, a lot of artists that were popular in the '90s, and I'm not I'm not talking your uh, your your Rob Liefeld types, you know what I mean? Not that I'm not dissing him. I'm just saying, like, I'm not, I was never into, like, the big guns, the pouches and stuff like that. Like, people kind of associate that with the 90s, but there was a lot more going on. Like, uh, Scott McDaniel, his Green Goblin run, and eventually it was his work on Nightwing. And, uh, you know, like, I loved uh, Witchblade and Fathom. I was a huge Michael Turner fan. Uh, J. Scott Campbell is probably my biggest influence. I first found his work when I found a Star Wars magazine that had like a a cover of like uh, the Empire Strikes Back drawn by him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the coolest thing you've ever seen. And then I'm like, who is this guy? And then I eventually found Gen 13 and Danger Girl, you know, and just went in order being a fanboy of his. And uh, yeah, even like some of the uh, uh, greats that are slightly lesser uh, given credit, like Mike Waringo and uh, RIP and, um, yeah, like a, just a lot of people. And I eventually went backwards and kind of ran into like John Byrne and, uh, you know, studied all the older stuff too. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. been a, 
but it's been a fun ride just like being influenced by like everything and stuff so yeah, uh, that um, barely answered your question but i mean that that still kind of informed how i used to draw and like uh i don't know i uh i, I kind of slowly improved over the years like but i used to just like draw straight into ink when i was like 15 and stuff and then like i learned like oh no you gotta like you know really like uh i took figure drawing classes at the art institute of chicago on saturdays where i was like 16 staring at naked people with a bunch of other uncomfortable teenagers in the room like doing <laughs> sketches of all their poses you know what i mean yeah. and i'm like uh, i'm like oh this is weird and then by the fifth time i was like oh i'm actually learning shit which is cool so <laughs> all right um before we get into a sapphire specter itself um did you do you uh have any creations or series that preceded sapphire specter or that could be considered uh precursors to it uh in a way yeah i mean i was always drawing my own characters growing up and stuff like that but i never really like dove into a comic until i made this graphic novel that was based off me and my friends at the age of 19 that i started drawing at like 22 or 23 and it was called sigma 7x and it was just this total joke that like me and my buddy came up with and i uh, nice tried time. to turn it into something tangible um, and it was like about a bunch of drunk college kids getting superpowers and then fighting a terrorist organization. It was a learning curve because like I drew a hundred pages of that and then I was like, I was like, I'm done. Oh, it's so cool. And then I like look back two years later and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like yeah. when people say you've got to get that first one out, you know, like it's, it's really true. <laughs> you, you've got to fail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that. Yeah, I wanted to ask that question since that's one thing I've noticed over the years of being a fan of manga is that uh, a lot of those artists will have like a strip or two of, you know, whatever they're created. And then when they hit big with the regular series, like say Toriyama did with Dragon Ball, then it's like, oh, I see he's reusing these characters or this character inspired that character and the more popular right. one. <laughs> Oh, by the way, uh, manga, yay or nay? Um, I just don't know enough about it. I don't know. I don't like. I can't say nay because, like, like I'm. I just. I just tell people that I'm not influenced by it. But I, it's it's one of those things where it's like if somebody asked me to get into punk rock, I don't know what I'd tell them. Like, I mean, I don't know, start with Green Day's Dookie? I, I have no idea. You know what I mean? Because there, it's just a, such a giant world that, like, I'm just kind of intimidated by it. Like, I, I don't know enough about it. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll pick one, and I'll read it, and then, like, somebody will be like, Poser, Weed, oh. and I'll be like, I don't know, dude. Like, oh, I man. I don't know well, anything about this. <laughs> that, bodes, that bodes well to when I when we get to the section where I want to talk about punk rock with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. All right, let's get into uh, the Sapphire Spectre, which, by the way, I'm going to say the full name because uh, originally I was going to abbreviate SS, but uh, then I realized what that may have unintentionally referencing. That's why when I abbreviated it, I very consciously put TSS because like a year into it, I was like, I like threw down SS and I was like, oh no, oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> so I put TSS now, or just like just Spectre, or just Specky, or something. <laughs> All right. Uh, can you uh, summarize what Sapphire Spectre is? So Sapphire Spectre. Uh, I mean, the elevator pitch version is a 
a young woman, she's about 22, named uh, Sylvia Sloan, and she's from Chicago, too, the whole right what you know thing. And, uh, you know, I grew up, like, kind of superstitious because of Ghostbusters and my Catholic upbringing and stuff, and so I was always interested in, like, the supernatural, so I kind of wanted to make a supernatural superhero, and so I was like, I drew this girl back in 2009, and I drew her with a hoodie and torn jeans and these two weapons, and she's blue, and I'm like okay, wait a minute, so why is she a ghost? And then my next thought was, okay, she can, like, actually project her own ghost. Like, she can drop dead whenever she wants and her spirit leaves her body. And then she'll fight evil demons and stuff and come back to her body and be alive again. So that's kind of how I, like, worked up the premise. And then I had to, like, build a universe around it and be like, okay, so what are the rules? Is there a god? Is there a devil? And I'm like, no, that's been done to death and spawn and stuff. So I was like... It'll be kind of like an agnostic ghost story. You know what I mean? It's like if a spirit crosses over into the next realm, you don't know what that is. That might just be their energy being dissipated into the universe. That might be them going to heaven. I kind of leave it up to the reader's imagination. But there is a spirit world and a real world. So I kind of had to, yeah, like come up with the, the rules of the universe, you know? So Yeah, uh, yeah. actually we'll get into that in a sec. But uh, when did the series start? start and uh, what was the initial spark for it? Um, it started, I mean, like the very first publication of it was actually on Comixology, my very first graphic novel of it, which is like the origin story. And that was back in like 2011 or 12, I want to say. And then, uh, I wrote like a second one and then I got halfway through a third one. And then like, um, it was, it, I was just kind of doing this, not knowing what to do with it. You know what I mean? It was like, I had it as a print on demand that like just some of my relatives bought and like some comicsology people like bought it. There was a review written and I got probably like a $20 check for that or something, you know, <laughs> but like, um, I didn't really start getting into the comic scene per se, like, uh, going to conventions a whole lot more and meeting a whole lot of cool people and like kind of, having a network of friends and stuff until like about 2015 or so. So like I decided, all right, well I'm going to have those be the prequels and then like, I'll just start a series, which was always the plan from the beginning. I wanted to have like almost like three movies and then like the series. And so like the series is issue one onto we're at five now. So actually, uh, yeah. actually, yeah, I should have written that question down, but, uh, yeah. Uh, what uh, did happen between you and Comixology? Because uh, I think I remember the first time I interacted with you was on your uh, on the Sapphire Spectre page uh, pre-hack, and I asked you if uh, the other issues were going to be available on it, and uh, you said no because something happened. Oh yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, well, Comixology got bought out by Amazon, and then I think a lot of the stuff that used to be on there isn't anymore. Uh, which I'm totally cool with because I just, I, know, I didn't really like it. So I, I'm, I'm much more comfortable like having come up with my own nonsense imprint, punk and comics, and like kind of starting over in a way. But I'm eventually going to kickstart the first three volumes as a prequel trilogy kind of mini phone book kind of thing. You know oh, what okay. I mean? So that people can kind of catch up. And I, uh, when people back it digitally, I actually send out the first two graphic novels. Uh, so they can like catch up in that little way too. Oh, okay, because I do own I do own the first issue and the first graphic novel on Comicsology, and I bought volume two through Lulu. Then I messaged you what two weeks ago now asking 
where to get the other ones at. Okay, so you actually read those ones. That's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm all caught up, dude. Nice. Yeah, because the third one I was always in, I was in the middle of, and that's when I really started getting into the scene. So I was like, all right, I got to do like a soft reboot. It's it's not a hard reboot at all. Like there's very much some storylines that carry over, but it was also very much new reader friendly. So like uh, the the hotel issue, the chibi issue, the Viola Void up till now, like that's all like the new stuff and uh i'm very i'm hoping by the end of the year actually that like or not the end of this year the end of next year that i'll have like a a, a way for everybody to read everything in order as far as the prequels go you know all right so uh let's get on to the hero hero herself sapphire specter aka sylvia sloan uh wait i did say that last name correctly right yeah, totally. It's, it's, she's good. named after uh, Sloan Peterson from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, okay. Like that's, that's where the last name came from. <laughs> gotcha. I, I think I added an E. I don't know if there's. A, I don't know if they spell it with an E in the movie, but I added Sloan for the E. Okay. And that's the, the name Sylvia came from a punk song called uh, Sylvia by The Briefs. What's the band called? Uh, the Briefs. Kind of like Briefs Underwear. Huh, I've never heard of that band before. Oh, they're, they're great. They're really good. If you like, uh, like the Buzzcocks and stuff like that, they have a really 1970s pop punk, uh, in your face kind of feel like, and they all wear white plastic sunglasses and just like the joke around They're They're a funny band. Ah, I gotcha. Okay. So, uh, Sylvia Sloan, uh, how would you describe the character personality wise? Um, she's very, uh, assertive kind of like she likes people she likes talking to people and it's like after her her death her near-death experience like she died and then an unknown white light kind of gave her her powers and she came back to life and it's like her parents and her brother died and you know she that was like a bummer for her for a while but once she started to get in touch with her sapphire specter side and like enter college like she became a lot more appreciative of life. So it's kind of like having near death experience and then realizing, you know, like that, like, Hey, all this small stuff doesn't matter. So like you have like a little bit more of a better outlook on life because you just want to get the fullest experience out of it. So I try to write her in that way where she's like, kind of like, uh, I don't know, like a YOLO kind of way, you know? (laughs) So, um, I know that that term's updated as crap now, but like, uh, yeah, so that's kind of her attitude on life is that, like, you know what I mean? Like, if somebody is talking smack about her or whatever, she's just like, let, lets it roll off her because she just is like, whatever. But, like, then she also can go to some dark places and then she gets down on herself for not being sunny. <laughs> you know what I mean? She, like, fancies herself on being a person that doesn't care because she's died already. But then when she's bummed out because of a breakup or, like, something like that, then she'll, like, kind of have to like find herself all over again and that's kind of what we all do is like we go through ebbs and flows so all right so uh what what are uh, sylvia's powers and what are her weaknesses okay so when she um when she turns into sapphire specter she can pretty much change her appearance to almost anything uh like she she has x amount <laughs> of like spiritual power you know so it's like once that's all kind of wasted and she's feeling like a, she's, like she's uh, used a little too much of it like she has to return to her body kind of recharge a bit but her main power is making those uh, 
S blades. That's also kind of the logo. It's like uh, they they look like a circle with two ovals cut out to make an S, and then she throws them around like uh, Katana throws her fans in Mortal Kombat and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Or um, so that's kind of like her main weapon. But she can also kind of like form spikes on herself and like go all like uh, uh, a supernova, kind of like Johnny Storm does, you know, go all Nova mode and like kind of just explode with energy around her. But that's kind of like a one and done deal. Once she does that, she's kind of weakened. So, uh, but yeah, and she can also fly a little bit, not like Superman, just all over the place and stuff, but more like kind of floating above the, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, like a ghost. So. Yeah, walk through uh, walls, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Honestly, I honestly I'm friends with you on Facebook, and I see, you know, your work as you do it. And maybe this, maybe one of the recent images you you uh, posted answers this question. But uh, can <laughs> Sylvia, when she's in her spirit form, interact with a, uh, I guess say the normal world, or or is she only confined to fighting other spirits? Uh, yeah, I've described that like. Uh, very, I should bring it up more often. You know how like Chris Claremont used to just like every X Men issue used to say what they can do, it, it, like so it's like new fans can understand, but like old fans are like, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I should I should really do that more often when it comes to that kind of the rules of that because it's like she can interact most of the time she's invisible to everybody, but like in uh, the spirit when the spirit world like has moments of like high concentration. So if like she's fighting a super powerful demon or stuff, they might kind of blip into reality, you know. So it's kind of like uh, when not much is happening, you can't see the ghosts. But when a lot is happening, they will show up and they'll be able to, you know. What I mean, like if if a ghost throws her through a window, uh, like she'll smash through the window, you know what I mean. And then like some of the people in real life might look at, at the window and see it smash by itself, and then like maybe like a blue light fly through. Oh, you know okay. I mean? Yeah, so, okay, so, like, if there was, like, a bank robbery happening, she couldn't just, like, just go instantly stop these normal guys with guns. She might be able to, but, uh, I don't really do the, the real crime thing. She's more of a, a, a spiritual crime person. Oh, uh, yeah, I just use that as an example. <laughs> right, yeah, but she, I guess she could, but, like, maybe she could only do so much, you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, last geeky-ass question there, uh, would you consider Sapphire Spectre a superhero? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a yes and no. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of like, I mean, because my biggest inspirations for it were like uh, a lot of the female heroes from the Top Cow era, like uh, Witchblade Fathom, uh, Madame Mirage, I, I loved. With, uh, not many people talk about that, but I love Paul Dini and Kenneth Rockefeller's Madame Mirage. That's kind of like where I drew all that smoky stuff from. You know, like that, that spiritual smoke energy that comes off her. I kind of got a lot of that from Kenneth Rockefeller from when he drew that comic. And like, uh, so I love like the femme fatale kind of thing, but I also like Spider-Man and Batman. So it's kind of an in-between. It's like, would you call Sarah Pizzini a superhero? It's like some people might say yes. Some people might say no, because it's not a traditional kind of superhero. But I don't know. Come to my head. Maybe. Yeah. Huh. I, I call her the supernatural superheroine. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Speak of which, uh, what made you de- decide to create a character and series that revolves around spirits, ghosts, demons, and are things that we would describe as paranormal or supernatural? Yeah, it's like uh, my upbringing was very Catholic, and I was also like 
watching a lot of Ghostbusters as a kid and stuff, and I, I got very superstitious, and I got, like, a Ouija board in fourth grade, and, like, got kind of freaked out by it, because, like, <laughs> stuff would fall off shelves in my house, and, like, I'd feel weird presences at night, the lights would turn on by themselves, stuff, you know what I mean, like, it's, it's like, either stuff that was really happening, or that, like, maybe your little kid brain was, like, looking too much into, or whatever, but, like, I've also had, like, just kind of a few encounters in my younger years like teen years that like i can't explain and stuff so i've always been interested in it not to like a a a dangerous degree you know but like more like a i don't know like a casual fascination or something so um i thought it would be fun like in the the villain mr black the guy that kills her like he's like a dude in a black hat that's a shadow figure with red eyes which people who are into that stuff called the shadow people and like i used to see that figure when i would have sleep paralysis oh same here yeah did you ever see that oh my god yeah it's uh, like yeah i had yeah last time i saw it was god well over 10 years ago when i was still in college but uh on the at the time i uh, had some i got my tonsils taken out and i was uh taking this medication to like keep the get rid of the pain and uh one of the side effects was uh well you could possibly hallucinate and i woke up one night and saw one of those things in the fucking corner my room and uh being being the brave being the brave soldier i am i immediately pulled the covers over my head because that would really stop it Right. It was like when sleep paralysis feels real while you're in it, and then when you wake up from it, it feels like a dream. So yeah. I don't know. It it sucks, but like I was like, all right, well that guy's obviously the villain. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is that guy? He's all right. And then I came up with like this whole Chicago kind of background where he's like a demon and a gangster. It's like he's a gangster ghost that harnessed demonic energy onto himself and became like a demonic ghost that looks yeah. like. Uh, Al Pacino with red eyes or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do like how uh, how how you seem to intend to have the Mothman be a, uh, a villain in a future issue. Yes, I am twenty pages into that story, and because uh, I'm going to start releasing them a lot sooner. Like I've been doing like one every nine months or whatever, and I'm just I'm like, okay, I got to up this. Like I, I've got a lot done already, so I want to start doing it every three months or so, so that people I can get this out of my head and people can read it and not just like forget who I am like in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm but, sure I'm sure you did hear about Mothman sightings in Chicago for recent years, right? Oh yes, I've read a lot about this guy. <laughs> Yeah. I started paying attention to it about three or four years ago, and I, like, read every article you can think about, and so I'm kind of, like, doing my own twist on it, but yeah. Yeah, uh, fun fact, in uh, 2017, I uh, got enough seniority at my job that I could take week-long vacations, so my first one was in Chicago, because I love Chicago. Yeah, dur- during that week, they had a Mothman sighting in, uh, in, in uh, Lincoln Park, where I was staying at Chicago Getaway Hostel, like yeah. right down the street from where I was staying at. Nice. And I was so bummed. <laughs> I was so bummed that I wasn't that couple who got freaked out by it. Right, and some people call him the Owl Man and stuff like that, and they, like, which is funny because like some people have seen him outside of the Owl, like which is a hipster bar on the north side, and like, uh, yeah, it's like that that general area. There's been a lot of sightings, and like, uh, I actually have like them up in that area like uh sylvia and a player to be named up in that area and like uh 
the Mothman like grabs the guy she's with and she chases after him and they get drops him into Lincoln Park Zoo and <laughs> she's gonna like <laughs> save save this guy from the lion cage. <laughs> yeah, the last things I always hear about is over at O'Hare Airport. Yeah, that too. I don't know, I guess he's like trying to warn you about the ticket prices, maybe, or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so <laughs> yeah. Alright, so you mentioned so when you were describing earlier about the rules of the comic, uh, well, a little bit. So formally, what are the rules of the supernatural existence in the world of Sapphire Spectre? Yeah, like I'm saying, there's no god or, de- or no god or devil. Uh, there's mostly just like ghosts, uh, negative energy, which eventually turns into demons. Like that's how I describe demons in this. They're not like demons from hell. They're like demonic by nature because they are formed over the years like from people's negative emotions like if somebody if somebody stabs somebody in a basement somewhere like like in real life like sometimes people have like bad vibes if they go into somewhere and they're like whoa i don't, I don't like the feeling of this place you know what i mean and then you find out later oh some bad shit happened down there i kind of like make that tangible in the spirit world they have it be like this black like you or whatever uh, that kind of like forms together and could form a demon in like a hundred years or 10 years or whatever. And um, I most recently did a story with the positive side of that. Um, Sapphire Spectre in the first graphic novel absorbed a lot of positive energy and that's how she beat uh, her first like main villain. Um, so I was like, Oh, I should do like a positive demon, you know, like an anti-demon. So that's how I came up with the pure, which is uh, the, the plot of the fifth issue, which I just uh, successfully kickstarted. Um, and she's like this pink entity and uh, is like comprised of like a whole lot of like positive energy around the world. And then it's like, I kind of had a morality play with that. It was fun to do. Cause I was like, all right, Sapphire Spectre is like this flawed human. And like, she even kind of has fun at other people's expense sometimes. And then like, how is the peer going to take that? Who was like, kind of like a, uh, like a, almost like a uh, the morality police or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like this pure good energy versus like this flawed human, and like which one is right, you know? Like it's like, hey, should we lighten up a bit, or hey, should everybody be like literally perfect? Like which one is it, you know? So, <laughs> all right. So uh, as of this as of this interview, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that you had. That the series so far comprises of two volumes and four single issues, correct? Uh, yes. All right. Do you uh, have a long-term game plan of where you want the story to go or how long the series will last? Yeah, I want to, I think it's going to be like 25 issues or so. Um, unless, you know, if, if I'm still doing well around then, maybe I'll do some more. But I definitely know where it's going to end and how. So I definitely, I know I have the ending completely in my head and, uh, like I would love at the end of everything for people to be able to have like the first three graphic novels in a collection sitting next to an even bigger or maybe two, two, uh, little volumes of the, the series, you know what I mean? So it can all like, and even like the spines can maybe have like connecting art or something, you know what I mean? Like the kind of thing where it's like, 
40 or 50 or so issues worth of comics just kind of like sitting next to each other and you can just read the whole thing as one big saga, you know? Yeah, so uh, does this uh, saga involve a story that's similar to the Clone Saga? Uh, similar to the Clone Saga? Yes, the greatest Spider-Man uh, story of all time. Yes, in, in what way? <laughs> oh, does it does it have one that's, that's similar to it, do you say? Yes, exactly. Oh, no, no, it will not. <laughs> uh, oh, well, a guy can dream. Yeah, it's, it'll be a little more linear. There's going to be some surprises, though. <laughs> All right, so, so uh, what has the reception for Sapphire Spectre been so far in the comic world and, uh, I guess, the Chicago comic scene? Yeah, it's, it's always hard to gauge because it's like... Um, sometimes you just send this stuff out there and then people like say, like, oh, I'm a fan, or they say, like... Uh, or they just buy it at a con and you never talk to them again or something. Cause it's like, I mean, like if you think about issue one, there's technically like 1500 of those in circulation somewhere. So it's like, um, it's like, I know a lot of people have them, but it's like, you know how it is. Sometimes people buy a comic and then they just never crack it open or they just throw it right in their collection or whatever. But then like the people who have read it and have gotten back to me, all love it. Like they say like, dude, like you should be bigger or like, dude, I love the story. I can't wait for the next one. And I'm like, that's satisfying to me. You know what I mean? It's like just that, it's just hearing people that have read it, you know, like makes me super happy. Cause that's, that's all I want them to do. I'm not buying a yacht off of any of this. Like, you know, <laughs> I just want, I just want people to read the story. All right then. Uh, well, that's enough Sapphire talk. And, uh, I guess we'll end this podcast with, uh, Talk about a genre that we both love, uh, punk yes. rock. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, JT, when did you get into punk rock? Uh, I mean, I think like a lot of like a lot of people that are. Uh, are how old are you? I'm uh, 36. Okay, gotcha. So we're pretty much peers. Like a lot of people that are like you know in or at or around 40. Like I'm 41. Uh, I got into it. Technically, with like Green Day's Dookie and Offspring Smash in 1994, it was like I grew I grew up like loving hard rock because of my dad, like Van Halen and Heart and like uh, Ozzy and all kinds of stuff. And like uh, then I kind of found my music, which is you know 90s. It was like alternative rock and stuff was popular back then. Um, <clears throat> but um, it wasn't until I got Offspring Smash that like the really fast hardcore punk kind of thing, like Bad Habit, was the first offspring song i ever heard like in a class somebody brought it in and like uh, we played it in class while we were studying and then like uh my my friend was like wait for it and then dexter's like stupid dumb shit goddamn motherfucker and then like the teacher looks <laughs> at us we all laugh in the classroom and the teacher looks at us like are you kidding you could get me fired like what's your problem <laughs> and i was like i was like that's it this is the music for me <laughs> It swears a lot and it goes real fast, you know? So, like, um, it, like you know, I, I like Smashing Pumpkins and all that, you know, alternate rock stuff, like, around that era. But, like, once I got into high school, like, in 96 and 7 is when I really dove in. That's when I found out who, like, like the underground bands were that were, like, you know, like, popular but not around the radio. So it was, like, MXPX and uh, Suicide Machines and, back then, even Blink-182. Um with like dude ranch and cheshire cat um and then like the harder stuff like total chaos and uh rancid i guess was kind of harder and like uh you know it was like 
I really loved nineties punk. And then like, because I was an offspring fan, I got into nitro records. So I was listening to like the hardcore era of AFI and like gutter mouth and the vandals. And then by the time I was late in high school, I went backwards. A lot of people went forwards into like the kind of screamo scene that was about to start, you know, and I went backwards into eighties hardcore. So I just stayed a punk. Like I love TSOL and the germs. The germs are probably my favorite band. I have a germs tattoo on my leg. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, uh, Bad Religion, obviously. And, Who uh, I uh, G- just saw this past G-B-H. Sunday for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> GBH, Black Flag, all that stuff. Like, um, So I kind of I kind of got into like all eras of it eventually from like the 70s to even now. Like uh, bands like uh, from like the 2010s, like White Lung and uh, Nightbirds and stuff. So Yeah, so uh, what are your... journey. Yeah, what are your favorite bands currently? Uh... Currently, I'm trying to like you mean like currently active ones, like like newer ones. Uh, newer, older. What are you like listening to right now? Um, uh, <laughs> I was listening to this band that uh, my old manager showed me called uh, Dumb Fucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, like they're, they're really sloppy and fast, and the singer wears a ski mask, and like uh, their lyrics are really really stupid, and like. They, they just crack me up like sometimes i love just like like uh i mean as much as i love really well produced stuff like like pennywise or sick of it all you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i also like those underground hardcore bands that just like they recorded an album in one day and it's just trash you know like i, I love that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> all right well actually you just mentioned a lot of subgenres there but uh i must simply ask you because it's one of my favorite punk subgenres what do you think about folk punk uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I never got into it that much. Ooh. I think I'm starting to maybe retroactively appreciate some of it, though. Like, uh, I mean, what are we classifying here? Like, I mean, I, I know against me, like, kind of like popularized it, but like, who we got, like, Frank Turner and, you know, stuff like that, right? Like, uh, yeah, like that, uh, Defines Ohio, Johnny Hobo, right. Homeless Gospel Choir, my personal favorite at the moment. Yeah, some of that stuff's pretty rad, you know. I, I kind of like some of the folk punk that leads, leans a little bit more into the punk side than the folk side. But, uh, I don't know, sometimes it comes down to, like, either lyrical content or, like, uh, just how trashy it sounds, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, like the, the Frank Turner song, uh, Thatcher Fuck the Kids, you know? <laughs> it's like, that's a great song, you know? Yeah. And, like, uh, I don't know, even, yeah, I heard, like, a Jello Offer cover of, like, uh, an old song like uh, Love Me, I'm a Liberal, you know, and I, I, it was like uh, something sax or something. It was from like the 60s, and I went back and heard that, and I'm like, oh my God, this dude's, this dude's spitting, you know? Like, <laughs> I sometimes love political stuff, and I sometimes love just like, uh, I don't know, just goofy stuff or whatever. Um, I don't know, but yeah, folk punk is it's not something I got into. I, I might have scoffed more at it 10 years ago <laughs> when like it was really taken off, but like, now that it's kind of settled down a little, I'm probably like looking back on it more like, hey, you know what? There was some good stuff going on there. <laughs> no, I, I love asking that question. It gets such great, great variety of responses. <laughs> right. All right. And uh, right, some somebody who listens to lower class brats and oxymoron like me, like <laughs> sometimes it's like, what is this crap? You know what I mean? <laughs> But then if you look, but then if you actually hear what they're saying, or like you see one of them live or something, you're like, ah, oh, that's actually pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, so recently uh, you made a pretty spicy post on your Facebook. Uh, what is it about the Chicago's punk scene that you don't like? Yeah, I took that down because I didn't want to like offend anybody or whatever, like, <laughs> which is not very punk for me. But like, uh, um, it's just, it, I, I have it. My punk pride is just like my Chicago pride, where like it exists half the time, and then the other half, I'm like, oh fuck this place. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> it's like, um, I always vibed more with like the California punk scene, like kind of sound than I did any kind of Chicago sound, you know? I always feel like Chicago, like, um, it's almost like because it's in the Midwest, it's almost like you think about it like New York and L.A. are kind of like radio waves, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, they are the they are broadcasting new things. And by the time it hits Chicago, like, it's like it's already Johnny, Johnny Come Lately. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, friends of mine were starting skate punk bands in like 1999 and 2001 and stuff and i'm like guys like <laughs> that's already over like the whole screamo thing is going on right now you know what i mean like that's coming next you know like the whole post hardcore thing and like uh so it's like chicago always gets things late you know so it's like even bands like it's like fallout boy right they're from chicago but like they're not Blink One Eighty Two. Like like that came eight years earlier. You know. Uh, I think they, like, I think they wanted to be more like the Get Up Kids, which. Uh, oh right. Which okay. I which I which and this is hilarious. Uh, I guess one of the members of the Get Up Kids heard this and they're like, "Yeah, we apologize for somewhat creating Fallout Boy." <laughs> <laughs> it's funny sometimes. Like you can't. Uh, it's hard to blame the person. It's like, it's like corn. You know, like corn's okay, you oh, know, but like, corn. but like the stuff that like corn inspired is trash. So it's like, well, uh, <laughs> I think it, I forget who it was, either Zach LaRoche or Tom Morello. They apologized for Limp Biscuit <laughs> after <laughs> right. Fred yeah, talked about like, how much he loved Rage, right? Like funky rap metal, you know what I mean? It's like Suicidal was doing that, infectious groups and like Rage Against the Machine, and then it's like by the time it gets down to Limp Bizkit, you're like, ooh, what'd you guys do? But it's like, you can't blame the guys who were <laughs> experimenting originally, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, is there anything the Chicago punk scene can do to change it better? <laughs> I don't know, it's like, um, yeah, I get shit every time I talk about it, but it's like, because uh, that I watched that documentary called You Weren't There, you know? And like that, kind of even just the title of it like sums up like the kind of pretension that this city is kind of known for and i think that pretension comes from being literally the second city you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like oh we're not new york so we have to like flex five times as hard you know what i mean so it's like um you know the ramones and blondie and all them were just kind of like chilling and just doing their thing and having fun and then over here in chicago we have to act like we're like we're not having fun this is serious business <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's kind of like man i don't know it's a bummer like uh but like at the same time you know i grew up going in the city i love the tall buildings i love the sears tower i love the white Sox. i love you know i love lots of things about the city i love going to school there at columbia college like uh just so much cool stuff like you know i lived there in uh, some of my 20s and you know went to like the 
local punk bars like Exit and Delilah's and stuff, and like Delilah's uh, Club. Yeah, and like, uh, so it's like, you know, been to all the venues, and it's it's just so much fun. So it's like, there's other times where I'm like, dude, like, calm down a little. Like, you're growing up in a, a pretty cool city, like, and so, but like, I still I still have a major love for like a lot of the bands that like uh, are kind of famous or even not so famous from here, like Naked Raygun and uh, the Bull Wheels. I love because like I, I drew some artwork for them and daryl like lives kind of near me and like he's become kind of like a uh somewhat of a pal like over the past couple of years and like oh really yeah and um yeah i drew like a flyer for them it was really cool and i went to the show that it was that and he like gave me a shout out from the stage he's like come come buy one of these posters he's like it's pretty rad he's like uh he's like there's the artist right there jt and he pointed at me in the crowd he's like uh it was at Liars Club, and he's like, uh, he's like, there's gonna hang in the Smithsonian in their bathroom next to all the dick pics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about uh, Screeching Weasel? Yay or nay? I love Screeching Weasel's music. I do not like Ben Weasel. <laughs> oh yeah. Um... I think that's like just about everybody, though. You know what I mean? Like, I even feel kind of guilty listening to their music because, like, he he tried to like cancel my cousin. Like, my cousin Bill, yeah, my cousin Bill, who is in some awesome local hardcore bands, by the way, shout out to uh, War Effort, that's a band that he's in, that's awesome, I saw him open for the virus, like, a few weeks back, Um, so, like, he was, like, working for Riot Fest uh, shows at the time, this is back when Riot Fest was still at the Congress Theater, and, like, he, uh, (laughs) like, gave a review about a Screeching Weasel show on, like, punknews.org or something like just as a comment in his comment section somewhere ben weasel like like he was like oh this is a, he was a fan at back then too and he was like ben weasel was being such a dick at this show and he was just sitting on the drum riser and barely talking into the microphone to sing his songs <laughs> and just being such a prima donna wow and then so he wrote this but like he was also working the merch booth for the venue at the time <laughs> you know what i mean so like Ben Weasel found the comment because he's the kind of guy who just scours the internet for his own fucking name and like called the place and had my cousin suspended from work for like three weeks or something. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> he called the cops? Or not the cops, like the venue. Uh, like oh, the, okay. Like, yeah, wow. or, or whatever. Wow, he swatted your cousin? <laughs> yeah, like, so he tried to like, he like, just over some innocuous comments about his shitty performance like on the internet, he like, found it i don't know how found out who my cousin was through his screen name or whatever so he had to he had to do some real detective work about being like whining about his own shit so he had to like (laughs) get my cousin like fired from work for like three weeks or whatever it's like and then from then on out my cousin like rightfully like hates screeching weasel and like I'm like, I totally agree. And then, like, behind, you know, like, closed <laughs> doors. Behind closed doors, I'll put on some of their old stuff and be like, eh, I still kind of like this. But, I don't know. At the same time, I, I just, yeah. Wow, that guy that's... is just such a prima donna asshole. Well, I don't know. Wow, that's really shitty. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it could be worse, though. He could have gone up on stage and punched your cousin like he did that one fan down in Texas. Yeah, exactly. And then that happened, like, a month later. <laughs> oh, oh really a month later yeah that was that's like the same era yeah so it was just Jeez. like fuck that guy he's on roll that month <laughs> right like uh so i don't know that, uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right all right uh, jt um 
Do you have an opinion on the modern, the state of modern punk rock? Um, I think it's okay where it's at. Like, uh, I kind of like that, like, younger people are still embracing the 80s hardcore scene, you know? Like, uh, these days, if, like, a bunch of kids start a punk band, they don't really sound like Blink-182 anymore. Because remember there was that, like, period in time between, like, 1998 and 2002 where literally every kid that started a band tried to sound like that poppy kind of blink sound, you know what I mean? And yeah, that or Green then, Day. Yeah, that, yeah, that or Green Day. And then we had that era with, like, the post-hardcore flippy hair over my face thing the, that, like, people called emo, but, like, really kind of wasn't. Like, I don't know. But, like, that whole, like, metal-y, metalcore, screamo kind of era, yeah, metalcore, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, like, Finn McKinley still hangs on to, even though he shouldn't. Like, <laughs> Oh, oh, the punk rock NBA guy. Yeah, that guy. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I like his channel. I, I, like, I like, yeah, I like some of his commentary, but uh, well, he recently had on a figure who's like this alt right influencer to talk about punk rock, which uh, oh really, which well, kind of made me and a few other people mad, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, what can you do? Because I'm not. Um... Yeah, I'm not like PC or whatever, but I'm I'm also not really into that shit either. You know what I mean? I'm culture war neutral. That's that's what I like to say to people. Oh, I will. Basically, I only follow the culture war so I know how to avoid it, like a, a bunch of landmines. You know, yeah. like oh, ooh, ooh, yeah. step away from that, step away from that. Oh, <laughs> oh, I was on his uh, Finn McKinty channel though. He uh, he had us send screenshots of our uh, Spotify top fives or whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So mine got on there and. Uh, yeah, I think like my number two last year was this band called Crywank. He's like, Crywank, what's that? Uh, that's a great band name. I don't care what genre they are. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, they're they're like a lo-fi outsider emo band from England. Mm-hmm. I I mean their name's a joke, you know, Crywank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. All right. That's funny. I know I was talking shit about that guy, but he, he seems nice. I, I saw him on Fat Mike's podcast, and like the two of them were kind of arguing about like. Oh yeah, that was a great versus one. Early hardcore, and I'm like more of like a Fat Mike, uh, like the kind of stuff he's into, I'm more into, and like that other Finn guy. Like every time, every time I pass the punk rock NBA channel, like on YouTube, like uh, it comes up in my algorithms. I'm like, okay, where's the punk rock? You're like talking about like Bring Me the Horizon or some shit. Like that's not punk rock. <laughs> yeah. I uh, yeah, yeah, the Fat Mike. I'm sure, I'm sure he's nice, though. I'm sure if I you know, yeah. around the dude, we can talk. Yeah, the Fat Mike interview was great. I gotta check out the Punk Rock Museum sometime. Oh my god, I know, right? Like every time I go past it on Instagram, I see like uh, the like um, uh, what do you call it, karaoke section? You know, mm-hmm. I see like Noodles from Offspring like singing the dicks or something, and you know stuff like that. And I'm like, oh my god, that's so cool! Like I wish I could go off on stage with them and. Uh, Oh man, I, I gotta well, get out there. Well, well there or LA, because like I'm, I'm now kind of friends with Aaron Niclo, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, at least she was the cover model on issue four. So yeah, uh, the yeah the museum in Las Vegas. I guess best of all, uh, Fat Mike actually hangs out there, so uh, you could like run into him when you visit. Right, totally, and like uh, Fletcher, and like you know some some of the other people, like. Uh, yeah, just all the people I grew up idolizing, like, are going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, or probably are there. Yeah, I have a Facebook friend who uh, 
went there and yeah, he actually got to play one of the guitars with Fat Mike. So, uh, so, so I commented like, was he actually nice? Because uh, Fat Mike kind of has a rep for being a dick. Right. N- not like Ben Weasel level. But, you know. No, I, th- I think I don't think Fat Mike's a dick. I think he's just outspoken. Like he, like there is no filter. You know what I mean? I know, but yeah, I I asked him like, was he actually nice? He's like, yeah, he was as nice as he can be. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I, I like love the guy for having no filter. Like, um, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, like every time he does something stupid, like uh, I'm also kind of like, yeah, but I'm glad he exists too. You know, like sometimes those people just need to exist for like a little bit of spice of life. You know. <laughs> well, well, I guess he. I guess at least back in the day, he was kind of like Jello by Afro in the beginning, where he's kind of a gatekeepy gatekeepy kind of guy right but yeah hopefully he's kind of grown out of it right especially since he's basically retiring from music right and it's it's fun to you know like you know everybody goes through their gatekeeping period in punk rock you know like where you're just like oh that band's a sellout this one's not or you know uh, i like real stuff you like fake stuff or whatever like i think everybody goes through just even just a week of that you know (laughs) like growing up or whatever, but eventually you see that just everybody's kind of the same, and everybody's just trying to make a living, and like hopefully getting a message across. Like, and if you don't have a message and it's just have fun, then that's a message too, you know. Like, All right, uh, JT Malloy, uh, I believe that is the end of this interview. Yay! <laughs> uh, I can keep talking, man. It's cool. Yeah, man. Uh, this was great. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on. I'm a big fan of the series. I'm gonna keep on following it. Uh, really liked like the series, like the character. Really like your artwork. You're a fantastic artist. Oh yeah, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, promo time. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, find the comic. Find your other work or any other place that you like to shill. Uh, I'm gonna start updating my store very soon. It's a uh, it's uh, store envy, and I think it's just James, just search store envy James T. Malloy or JT Malloy, and it'll pop up. Otherwise, sapphirespector.com will just kind of send you wherever we want to send you at that moment, like whatever the new Kickstarter is. If it goes to backer kit, and then when we're calm in the column phases, it'll just go straight to the store. So we're always kind of like redirecting that that site sapphirespector.com to where anybody should go at that any given moment. All right, and uh, folks, uh, still the same with me, GarrettSchalke.tumblr.com, official website, at GarrettSchalke on Twitter, though that'll probably be done soon because I'm not paying Elon a buck. And, That's where uh, sucks. <laughs> I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll go through with it, but you never know. Right. And uh, well, Zach Elmblad, my editor Zach Elmblad, and I still still have new episodes of our. Uh, New podcast venture, the Cheeseburger Blues, coming up. You know, it's a podcast, comedic podcast where we make fun of shitty blues music. <laughs> Our latest episode is on Steven Seagal's Mojo Priest. But, uh, I mean, just the fact that we reviewed a Steven Seagal album should uh, yeah oh tell you God. tell you everything. <laughs> I want to listen to that both the album and your podcast. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, check out the Facebook group that's popping off, the Cheeseburger Blues Podcast Catch-Up Posting. (laughs) Oh, and uh, speaking of superhero fiction, uh, I am once again publishing another uh, 
Godin novel at the end of the year. And, uh, matter of fact, it's currently being serialized on Wattpad. Godin, the, yep, Godin, the gladiator killer. Serializing from now until December. You know, new chapters out every Monday and Friday. Yeah, check it out, folks. Ladies in the series. Nice, nice, nice. All right, and, uh, we are finished with this interview. JT, thanks again for coming on, dude. Thank you, man. Yep, and, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Here is the outro song. Nine to five. I see people working nine to five. And it ruins their lives. Working nine to five. Nine to five. I see the whole family's apart. Oh, what a wonderful start. Another child with a broken heart. It seems to me longer hours need a few more drinks. To take off the stress. And forget about what you think Like you saw the kids If you sick life stuck at home Sometimes it seems easier Start new and be alone But in these times you show yourself Stop out the fence Living all the wealth This is too extra fuck just to get by Plus late tears are with the bright All that you see no end in sight You'll see She's got the worst The doctor says she's got a few more days The more she's at keep her alive We'll give you a chance to say I love you babe I'm sorry I wasn't always there And don't worry about the kids They'll make you proud I swear And in these times you show yourself It's all about the fancy with another wealth Plus, late tears are with the price 